Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, my name is Alan Moore and you're listening to Gaelic Games Europe's twice-weekly podcast, This Sunday's Game. A warm Wednesday welcome to the latest edition of This Sunday's Game. As lockdown begins to ease just a little, on-field action is still some way away. However, we have a real off-field boost to bring to you on today's show. GGE's sponsorship officer, Dermot O'Donovan, is going to go into how being a continental organization is helping attract sponsors for GGE events and also gives us an update on our weekly mega quiz, which of course is tomorrow night at 8.45, do not forget. And in part two, we have part two of our one-on-one with GAA president, John Horan. While the Sunday game on RTE just followed our lead last week, we go deeper. GAA president impresses the importance of playing a range of sports to help build a better athlete and person. He also expresses his pride in, well, pride, and how the GAA has continuously evolved as an organization. Just why embracing our history makes our sport and Crow Park something extra special. And a little added on extra, a story on Kenny Cunningham that might raise a few smiles around about. But first, some news. Sean Kavanagh, the not-a-man-from-Tyrone, was roundly abused for referring to Northern Ireland as being part of the UK. Social media outraged and neglected to understand that Northern Ireland is part of the UK, and that was not Sean's point. Sean and Pat Spillane were discussing easing restrictions on social activity as reported on Sunday. Desperate to be dethroned as All-Ireland champions, tip-hurling boss Liam Sheedy wants the championship played behind closed doors, or so it seems. With Marie Crow on Game On 2FM last night, he said that some form of championship that was safe to run, I think it would make a big difference to the, na- to the nation. However, he also added, I wouldn't be up for putting any player at risk. We need to know that a full risk assessment has been carried out so we can understand it's safe to play. Obviously, the club players have had their say. 57% would like to return and 21% are not so sure. The Club Players Association, the CPA, revealed that one-fifth of their players won't return before a vaccine is found. Of a survey of 3,008 players, the survey indicates that a significant number of club players believe that until games are safe, they do not want to play. It presents a challenge for the future of the GAA, but one we feel that as a community of players and members, we can surmount together. Armagh boss Kier McGuinney was measured when asked about a return to action. He said that things change on a daily basis. I'm assuming that people will make decisions on what's best for everybody. People are dying out there. He also mentioned that having worked in Dublin for 20 years, try social distancing on a very busy dart. Now, of course, grassroots sources, in inverted commas, are keen to open grounds before the July 20th start date. Sources, that is RT's Pat Spillane, speaking to RT's Damien Lauder, went on the record to refute John Horne's statement last week to us that managing social distancing would or could deteriorate so that four players quickly becomes eight, twelve and so on to a full-on training match. Pat Spillane, or sorry, a source said, people in our association are socially responsible and if gates were reopened on this basis, we would find it hard to believe that any club official would let things get out of hand. Now, of course, he continued saying it would be policed at ground level, like so many other things and activities are. We'll be talking to senior GAA figures about this. Understandably, they are very cautious, and we admire them for that. 
There are other knock-on factors that need to be looked at though, including social and mental health concerns. We want to bring attention to those also. Now, in the English Premier League, they are getting ready for a June 12th kickoff. However, before that, their training will take place on disinfected pitches without tackling and only in groups of five. Spurs defender Danny Rose is against the June 12th resumption of matches, saying, Football shouldn't even be spoken about until the numbers have dropped massively. People's lives are at risk, and he's enjoyed by many, many footballers up and down England at this moment. In France, Amiens are joining Lyon in opening league proceedings against Ligue 1. While Lyon were miffed at missing out on a Champions League place, Amiens said that it wasn't just that they were relegated while sitting in 19th place. Amiens were only four points behind Nîmes, with 10 games to play in the season when it was called early. Of course, the title was awarded to PSG. As players from Brighton in England to Fiorentina in Italy, to top flight players in Spain and Germany, and of course, a lot of players from Dinamo Dresden in the second tier of Germany, all testing positive coronavirus, the top two German leagues will restart this coming weekend. Media outlets and betting companies are delighted and eagerly assisting fans in how to pick their favourite German club. And finally, Ian Wright, the former Arsenal and England striker, was subjected to the most vile racist abuse this past week by, of all people, an 18-year-old from County Kerry. Now, Wright was very, very quick to respond in the most dignified and measured manner. On Twitter, he said, I'll always love the Irish, will always be inextricably linked, my brother. No blacks, no Irish, no dogs, lest we forget. Okay, as promised, we're going to throw in on this Sunday's game, this beautiful Wednesday evening, with Dermot O'Donovan, who, of course, is the secretary for Valencia San Vincent. No, I'm, I've probably said it completely wrong. He'll correct me. And, of course, he is our sponsorship officer for Gaelic Games Europe. A very warm welcome onto this Sunday's game, Dermot. Yeah, hi, Alan. How's it going? Uh, delighted to see that a couple of hours we spent in the green room practicing your Valenciano pronunciation. It hasn't been wasted anyway. Oh, so, yeah, Valencia San Vicente. San Vicente. Excellent. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting over there for holidays then so people won't hate me that much, you know. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's tough. Like, I mean, um, I can barely speak English, let alone uh, pronounce anything else in a different language. Yeah, I'm, I'm um, pretty sure you're fluent in pints anyway. After some drinks, yes, of course. I think everyone is. You know? <laughs> yeah. Was it a yeah, liquid refreshment helps loosen the tongue? Darren, listen, tell us first of all, there's a brilliant initiative um, that's been taken up uh, by a couple of our colleagues from the, the county committee, the GG County Committee. We know there's lots of events going on online. There's, different, there's dance classes and so on and so forth at the club level, but this is pan-European. It's an all-European GGE quiz. Tell us a bit about it. Yeah, no, I mean, it's an absolutely splendid initiative. I mean, like you're saying, enough for the clubs all throughout Europe are organizing trainings and like my own club at home in Valencia uh, with the local pub, they're running uh, fundraising events and gigs and stuff like that for local charities. But what's really appealing about this particular project is that it brings people together from all over Europe. Like, you know, there are people from Valencia, obviously, up to Stockholm, to Moscow with yourself, and uh, Galicia in the northwest of Spain. So um, in this time when we're due to social isolation, we're distant from one another, it's, it's a way for us all to come together. It's, it's a really splendid initiative. Yeah, um, it really, it was launched by kind of two of the members of the county committee, like you said, Don Murphy and JJ Keeney, and they've 
taking it up in both hands and uh, using it as a way to, to bring everybody together. JJ and John's work with me is, is magnificent. JJ is the, as the quiz master and John doing the score. Now, we always try to believe that John is being fair. He is from Cork, but we'll let him away with that. The most important thing, I guess, for every quiz, of course, is the, the, the competition and the crack. When there's really serious teams, they want prizes. So that's kind of your remit. So what are you doing in terms of that to reward the brain boxes among the GGE members? Yeah, well, I mean, to be honest with you, from my own perspective, uh, I have to take participation as its own reward because Valencia quiz team won't be winning anything anytime soon. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, for sure. Um, like one of the splendid uh, kind of benefits for this, from my perspective as a sponsorship officer, is an opportunity to bring uh, Irish businesses and expose them on a pan-European level. I've taken it as a, as a way to, to bring some businesses like Pack and Munch, sponsored the, a brilliant prize the first week, uh, managed to bring Irish goods uh, from home to, I think it was a, ended up going to Switzerland in the end. And then we had Martin Hurdles last weekend, sending out a couple of Hurdles isolation pack uh, for the previous quiz and getting them exposure that they wouldn't have otherwise had. Now, this is the third week of the quiz and I've been talking to different companies and that we've had massive interest and uh, we've had Ballymaloo are going to get on board this week, along with uh, obviously O'Neill's, Cooper Helmets, uh, who everybody will be familiar with who hasn't had the head worn off them when playing hurling over the years. So uh, yeah, I mean, in this time, obviously, there are a lot of businesses, let's be real, like are under stress um, and any bit of public exposure on a pan-European level we can give them, uh, while at the same time bringing everybody together is... So how difficult is it then in terms of getting uh, a single sponsor for a pan-European quiz? Well, actually, um, I've been amazed at how positive and open to the suggestion that uh, a lot of these companies have. I mean, one of my uh, goals as when I took up this role was uh, to bring increased capacity and, and, and openness to, um, like, but companies that are based in Ireland and give them exposure to every country in Europe. And like, basically we haven't a major city in Europe that doesn't have a club in it. So it's a great way, a gateway for these companies to be opened into these new territories that they wouldn't otherwise be exposed in. Ideal. I mean, it brings everybody together. We've had about 30 odd teams from with about 130 odd participants every week. And I mean, these companies are delighted to get such exposure. So uh, in a way, if it was a regional company, uh, it might be a bad thing. But uh, the fact that we are so diverse and so uh, so 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 different from uh, all of our geographic perspectives, it's actually a positive thing for these companies. So uh, yeah, I mean they've been nothing but positive. It's an advantage rather than a disadvantage. Yeah, I mean again, it's like you know we can we can use excuses that we we want to say, oh well, it's very difficult to get it. But you seem to be making great progress in doing that and, and sort of moving away, like with Pack and Munch, which I think was a, it's, it's terrific because. We all know um, when sales of Tato at the airport arise, it means there's a lot more people leaving the country. Uh, so at least you, you facilitated that by getting Tato sent out to us. Um, before we wrap up, Dermot, um, a couple of small little things. Uh, first of all, just about Valencia, of course, Spain is starting to gradually come out of lockdown. Uh, we're speaking with the boys down in Sitges near Barcelona there a couple of weeks ago um, with Mick Collins. How do you see the chances of being a tournament in Iberia? Well, it's funny you should bring that up Alan, because, I mean, like I've been talking to a lot of my friends in lots of the different clubs around Spain. Obviously, as a competitive event, uh, the Iberian Championship is kind of a mood point at this stage. But again, nobody would want that. But it gives us all the opportunity to play a couple of tournaments in September without the element of like 
real harsh competitions. So uh, a lot of us are looking to get all the old boys together and, uh, and all the old women, obviously. <laughs> and we, uh, we have a couple of friendly tournaments and uh, a couple of reasons to get together in, in the autumn. And in a way, uh, while it, the standard of the football might be at the level it would have been otherwise, uh, certainly the social, social side of it will be uh, top notch. So it's something that we're all looking forward to once, uh, uh, what is it, absence makes my heart grow fonder. I'm sure that the boys of Barcelona are feeling the same way about me. Like. <laughs> all right, we'll, we'll have to ask him about that in, in, in a, well, in not nope. the distant future. And most important thing before we finish up, because the main reason we, we started a chat today, uh, tomorrow, of course, tomorrow even another uh, round of the quiz. Um, what time is it throwing in at and where can people register and find out more information, Dermot? Yeah, no, that's fantastic, Alan. Um, as always, same bad time, same bad place. Quarter to nine, essentially uh, European time. We've been kicking off the last couple of weeks. And uh, yeah, you'll be able to find all the details on the Gaelic Games Europe on our social media pages and obviously gaelicgameseurope.com Super Listen Dermot thank you very much we're going to get you on again very soon and uh, keep up the good work and thank you very much Brilliant Thanks very much Alan Talk to you soon And back to Dublin we go along the rocky road from Valencia and we're going to have part two of our chat with President of the GAA John Horan and I began by asking him just what is so magical about Crow Park well, I, I just think it's 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 just been a huge part of the history of the organisation, and you know, there's so many stories and so many lives, and everything have been impacted by Crow Park, joy, sorrow, whatever. Obviously, only so many people get access to the pitch, so that's always considered a thrill. So, like you know, a few of eighty-three thousand that are in the final, many people have actually gone out and played in that pitch. So you can understand the mystique of actually getting the opportunity to play on the pitch. And, People get one chance to play in a whole lifetime and it might have been when they're seven or eight years of age, but they'll always hold on to it. And I think, you know, I've already said it, like Bloody Sunday uh, always will keep Crow Park and the GAA closely linked and they'll never be, you know. I think that kind of event on Bloody Sunday really kind of, what would you say, nailed down Crow Park's residency at that particular venue and you know, redevelopments were always going to happen at that particular site. Yeah, it is something that, now, you just, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Bloody Sunday because it is something, you were discussing it in the plans for the year and so on because organisation has taken many, many leaps forward from relaxing certain bands, from um, allowing, you know, not like foreign sports being played in Crow Park. That's, you know, moving through and the sort of the, the development. And in your presidency, there's been quite a few big leaps forward. Um, and of course, the World Games has been was is a terrific legacy to to have. Say, I was involved in that, or I backed that. You know, World GAA, the same thing. But Bloody Sunday is something that really uh, is is very emotive for a lot of Irish people. And in the same year that Harry and Meghan were there, now you're going. You know, we're going to have Bloody Sunday as well. How important is it to link all of that up? That we're coming at we're at peace now with our past, but we also respect our past. How important is that for you, John? I think it so shows maturity in Irish society and I think it's quite important that like, you know, we don't forget this. And I think an awful lot of people can relate to Bloody Sunday when they hear the stories of ten and eleven year olds being shot and, you know, people going to the matches and, and not coming home. And I think that's that's the real emotive part of it all. When you when you phrase it in that manner of saying went to a match, didn't come home. And we all know we've gone to so many matches throughout our lives and we've always come home. So that really, I think, resonates with people. And then the fact that it was 
one of our games, a Gaelic football match. And, uh, you know, there was no combat from the part of the people that were in Crow Park. They were just totally innocent and they were slaughtered. I think that really gets into people's emotion. But I think as an association, thankfully, we have moved on and we have progressed. And I think, you know, just another example of it is like we took part in the Pride Parade here in Dublin last year and in other parts, you know, I think that to me was a progressive step as well for an organisation that's constantly, as I say, not a revolutionary organisation, but an evolving organisation that takes in the messages of society and moves with them. That, that is a kind of rev, you know, revolution and evolution. And you can see that we we have been evolving as time has gone on since I was a child, since you were, you know, when we were kids yeah. going to Co-Park, we see how Co-Park has developed and the association along with it. The Queen Elizabeth II, as she's walking into Crow Park out of the tunnel, and GAA sort of like behind her. How important is that? Because you have many different roles, I think, as well. Um, William, as well, was over playing hurling. William was in Salt Hill there recently. I met himself in Cage down in uh, Salt Hill, like the Carriage GAA club, yeah. So, I mean, from, from that to having that with the representatives of people who, you know, not too long ago were, were and, and for many people still consider their enemies or people who we, we shouldn't like. Um, this commemoration of Bloody Sunday. If you just ask those two questions, how, how is it for you moving from sort of even sort of lack of interest in royals to actually, you know, kind of seeing the value of having them beside our sports? And the second, what's going to happen in November for the Bloody Sunday Memorial? Well, look, you know, in, in, in its real sense, Britain is, uh, is a neighbour of ours. And like, you know, it, I think it's important that you get on with your neighbours. But, you know, I think... The morning I was going to meet Megan and Harry, a friend of mine sent me a text and says, do they realize who they're actually meeting today? The president <laughs> of the biggest amateur sporting organization in the world. Do they know how important and how big we are? You know what I mean? And it kind of resonated in my head and said, yeah, do you know what? We have our own confidence. We have our own everything here. You know, this is one-to-one, man-to-man and whatever. So like in that context, I have to say, like, they were pleasant, but I think it's a good symbolism to send out to people that we're all for peace and, you know, bitterness and historical grievance, I think, you know, only eats into you as, a, as an individual or would eat into you as an organisation. And I think that's why we need to move on in that context. The whole issue of Bloody Sunday, um, there will definitely be an event uh, on the day, regardless COVID-19 or not. There were plans of a match, Dublin and Tipperary and other inter-county players, and then the international rules. Obviously, the international rules series is gone. But, you know, it depends if we get back playing and what stages of competitions we're at, that we would hope to get a game in and around it. But regardless, there will definitely be an event that evening marking the actual 100th anniversary of Blues in the year. That's great. Now, again, the, the maturity that, that uh, we've shown, I mean, and you noted that it was the respect shown to the English anthem that really, you know, touched touched you and, and, and basically touched everyone in the stadium because we were like, it's just normal. We don't care. Yeah. You know, the singing of the Irish national anthem with the level of passion that it got that day and okay, I know the camera zoomed in on players being emotional and whatever. Maybe that was an experience for some of those rugby players to be in such a big stadium and hear the national anthem. But like, to me... That was on a par to what you'd hear in the day of an All-Ireland Hurling final or a football final. Um, yeah. even probably, I always think there's an extra zip in it when it's a Hurling final than a football final for whatever reason, but I always think yeah. there is a distinct difference <laughs> between the two. But uh, I, 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 to us as GA people there on the day, look, 
that was normal, right? You're, you know, some people were being emotional about it. But I think the English national anthem was a test to our maturity and were we able to do it and respect it. And the fact that no whistle or nothing went up throughout it, I think really was a statement of, you know, we're a solid nation and we don't have to resort to anything other than to just show respect. And, you know, there's an old saying in life, you give respect, you get it. And by I think us showing respect that day gained an awful lot of respect for us as a nation. I think it would have been a terrible reflection on us as a country if people felt they had to interrupt it and disrupt it while it was being played, you know. I mean, it is the case like with the with the rugby crowd are you know a lot more magnanimous, a lot more polite because even when there's like a a, a penalty kick or a conversion kick, they'll go quiet for it. So there is that kind of a little bit of a difference, I guess as well. The memory we can look back fondly because we battered the heads off them as well, and we get them right beaten. So I mean, that even made it sweeter that we kept to Park and sent them home crying. You know. Uh, yeah, I suppose it's a bit like um, the Scottish national anthem, isn't it? You know, <laughs> sent them home again. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. exactly. No, you know, no. But uh, no, look, I, I, I think, you know, there's enough self-confidence in ourselves as an organisation. There's enough self-confidence in us as a, as a nation to uh, feel we're well fit to hold our own and do things, you know. that Life has moved on. A few small things I want to pick up before we finish up, John, and um, or before we sort of come to an end. And one is that you, we were talking about the um, taking part in the, in the Pride Parade. I, I've spoken with people in Ireland uh, from the well LGBTQ community, and they would say they, they never have a problem going. They always feel uh, quite comfortable going, for example, to rugby or GAA, or playing rugby or GAA. Now, they don't feel the same in football. For, they, we've never discussed it, but they felt that the control within the crowd in uh, GAA is completely different, because we have like a top... Um, referee who is um, gay and you know from the crowd there's no abuse given to him and the same in rugby um, you know with, with the, again the, the number one rugby referee is, is gay as well and there's no abuse given to him there's no homophobic chanting or shouts or you know abuse do you think it's because there's more control within the fans the fans control themselves not just sitting together but they control each other well, I think, yeah, I think there's an element to that. Like, I mean, it, it was interesting. David Goff appeared on the Late Late Show one night with Ryan Tuberty, and um, he then went down to referee a match. I think it was in Roscommon the following Sunday. And, and he got a reception from the crowd when he came out on the pitch. You know what I mean? You know, sometimes our crowd situation, because we don't segregate our supporters, actually probably in its own way, is a self-discipline and a supervision among them that behaviour is called upon people, you know, to do it right. Whereas I think when you get that kind of, you know, segregation and all you need is one job to kick it off and then you get the sheep. And we all know that there's plenty of sheep that go on in society. I always remember there late, well, it was lately actually, uh, there was a function in Crow Park and afterwards this chap came up to me and he said to me, I want to apologise to you. And he says, for what? And he says, oh, I had a go at you on social media. And I says, yeah, well, said, look, it didn't affect me because I don't do it and I don't read it. <laughs> he says, no, no, I was stupid. He said, I actually had a go at you because I saw other people having a go at you. And he said, I had no feel or proper understanding of it. It just was the thing to do, to have a go. And I did it. But he says, I've actually started to get to know you more and I got to know you tonight. And he says, I'm sorry, I was wrong. And I said, look, accept your apology, but look, don't worry, it didn't impact upon me. You know, and I think... 
that kind of culture and you see it in social media where you put up a comment and then people follow it up and just run with it you know what I mean yeah. and I think that's similar in the crowds when you have the segregation it just takes one job to make a comment throw out a remark and then everybody around them kind of goes along with them you know that kind of peer pressure kind of scenario yeah. and oh yeah well if we're in this situation here it's cool to say he's this or he's that when uh, you know if you ask the person on their own they may not have that view at all or they may not even they might have it but they might feel that it should be expressed but when they're in the crowd you know that cheap mentality I think kicks in and we don't have that in soccer and I'm sorry in Gaelic and it's not in rugby either because of the way the crowds mix you know and this this exactly it's that kind of thing you see on social media a pile in where you see on Twitter for example they all start going after and we've noticed here in Russia and we spoke before the World Cup in 2017 we're working with the uh, anti-discrimination, anti-racism. And when you're speaking with supporters, you, we spoke to one guy and he said, well, actually, no, I'm, 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 he was a, a university lecturer. He said, I'm working. And I said, we've got foreign kids and they're great. And he'd be one of the fellows, when he's in the crowd, will start making monkey chants at you know, opposing players, you know, African yeah. players. And, and I asked him, why do you do this? Now, I've asked fans this before. And he goes, to try and annoy him, to upset him. Because he's a really good player. And if he gets upset, he won't play well and he won't score against us. And I'm thinking, there is logic. Definitely yeah, it's but logic. But well, it's, it's removed from sport. It's removed exactly. from sport. You know, it's, it's, it's a real mark of respect that we have that. Um, do you ever see a day, for example, if, if players go down a professional route, do you see a day where the GA is going to lose out on that, that clubs will have to fend for themselves? Or that'll no, never the- there won't be a professional route. That won't happen. It's totally contrary to the ethos of the organisation. But also, from a pure structural point of view, there's just no capacity there to sustain professionalism, right? And uh, it, it just, that, that day won't come. That's clearly it because of the fact that the game, like you look at, make a comparison between ourselves and rugby and soccer here in Ireland. They're driven largely by international funding and the international dimension of their games. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't see the GAA getting into that kind of TV, you know, World Cup, European Championships, kind of Champions Cup finals, that sort of a, a, a what would you say, financial stream. So, no. And, you know, I, I think we all believe in it. And, like, it has been probably highlighted more now than ever in the context of uh, the... COVID-19 that you know we are a community-based organization and the amount of work that actually has gone into supporting community through the clubs here in Ireland has been huge you know so no I don't look professionalism I just think is not on the table full stop. Most most players have interviewed you know from from division four to division one national league counties no one has said I want to get paid to play you know they want expenses they want you know to have a meal after training but they or tracksuits or kit to have a salary most of them are thinking, no, you know, what if I fall off the county panel? I have to go looking for work. So it is that thing that you brought up uh, earlier about, you know, you, you pick up a phone and you find where the local club is where the person's going to and you, you help them get work, you help them settle in. So it is a, it's, a, it's a different dynamic and it's actually worth more, you know, because there is that safety. Yeah, no, there as well. it, there's value. It's a value. It's a value, really, you know, and it's worth holding on to, you know. What's the benefit for the GAA? To have world games why should a GAA spend so much money and time and energy if you think about it because of the diverse nature of the international units they don't 
competition is difficult for them and you know it yourself in Europe it involves a lot of travel and it's done in blitz weekends and whatever and I think you know this gives people a focus of building towards something and then there is an outcome from that focus to actually get home and play in a competition against other international units from a GA point of view at home I think it's good for them to see the development and the diverse nature of the game on the international stage and uh, and I think it's valuable and important that the international game feels that it's both supported and recognised from home. And I think by having them at home and by, as you say, making that spend is a kind of acknowledgement that, no, this is important and, and we are prepared to, you know, put the pound on the table and support it. And, you know, I think that's key. You, you could say a lot of things, but if you're not actually just putting something into practice, then you're really only giving, using words and not any action. And, the action follows the words, and I think the action of the World Games is to show that, yeah, we value the international game. We like to see it coming back every three years. We like to see its development and its evolution. And I think every one of the World Games have gone on from the first one in Abu Dhabi to the second one in UCD to the third one in Waterford. And I've been at all three. I was in Abu Dhabi. I was in UCD because it was near me here in Dublin for the whole week, and I was in Waterford for most of the week. And, and, and I can see just how the whole team has evolved. Like if you go back to Abu Dhabi, it was a two-day tournament and, you know, it went well. UCD brought it on another notch. I think it was four days and, and then into Crow Park. And then Waterford to me as a venue where we got kind of, you could say nearly a university campus to ourselves. We got the Waterford community nearly so well engaged. We got the clubs in Waterford. I think the World Games definitely were just, the last ones were huge and brilliant. And I know there's a competition now among other cities and colleges in Ireland to actually see can they be the hosts of the next ones like you know what I mean I, I can tell you from from the team Russian players most of them they, they you know they've, they've stayed with it and they want to come back uh, in two years time mm. and they're hoping it's Waterford but you know I mean Limerick or yeah. whatever but again no yeah. Waterford is just unbelievably good there's there's lads you have seen come through that you've like moulded from boys into men the likes of Jason Sherlock and Desi Farrell but how much pride do you have you see them stepping onto the top stage and being really like well-formed men as well as athletes as well. I actually look at it in the reverse and think that I've been very lucky to have had the experience to actually work with them rather than they with me, if you understand where I'm coming yeah. from. Because, uh, you know, they always had that natural talent and um, it was just a matter of encouraging them. And, and I always say that to people in the GA. As an organisation, we never have to worry about other sports. As long as we do our own nurturing and looking after underage players properly and give them the opportunity and you're fair and you're conscientious about you know what you're actually doing and how you're dealing with them and it's not about your ego it's about their development i think if you hold to that we'll always get the quality players coming to us uh, and look to me with desi and jason yeah it was you know great to see them out on the pitch win that all ireland in 95 uh, there's been other players since and then obviously i was involved with dublin minor squads, some of them still on the present Dublin senior team. Like That was always a pleasure. But, you know, I always look on it that I was lucky to actually work with them more so than they were lucky to have me and, and probably Philly McMahon and myself regularly slag each other. Like, you know, and about was I a good coach or was I not? But look, I honestly always feel you look back and say, you didn't do any harm and you probably helped them a little, but had new great pleasure while you did it. I've always found that uh, people kind of overlook that that extra work you've done 
And I'll also even throw in another name as well, Kenny Cunningham. Yeah. Um, Kenny was, look, Kenny was a class young fella who made absolutely the best of himself. You know what I mean? Academically very bright. Didn't go to England with the soccer until he had his leaving cert done. But I always tell this story and it embarrasses him when I tell it. <laughs> we were we were in a Leinster uh, College's final and we drew. And the replay was fixed for Saturday. And Kenny had a trial with Millwall. Now, you can imagine, you're 17 years of age, your life's ambition is getting into play soccer. He had a trial with Millwall. We tried every trick in the book to try and get the match off, and we got nowhere. Now, all we wanted it was changed from the Saturday to the Sunday, so Kenny could fly over, do the trial, come back Sunday, and we play the game. But there was no relenting on it. So what Kenny actually did was he rang Millwall up and said he couldn't go. He was tied up at school and uh, could they put it back for another week? Now, what quality? I mean, he, he says, don't be telling that story. But that just shows you the guy that he was. That He wouldn't let his other 14 teammates down in a replay of a Leinster School's GAA final for his career. And I, I, I always take my hat off to that and say, that that's that's the quality of the guy, and he was always self-disciplined. When he went over to England, I I did encourage him to take up some study because I said you just never know, and he did. And he used to drop into my house every summer when he came home in the first few years. But uh, as he said to me, he said I was doing really well on the course, but they wouldn't pass me because my attendance. He says my grades were yes. up in the eighties, nineties, but my attendance wasn't because he said I was getting cut for midweek matches. I couldn't go in. I was well able to deal with the stuff, but and, and he says it just fell by the wayside, which was a pity, really. And it was a reflection probably on Millwall that they weren't doing something to facilitate him in that context, that he, he, yeah. he could get through it and keep it. But look, he, he's made great use of himself, and look, he's still tipping away, getting the media work out of it all, and he's, 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 a, he's a fine fella. And he was a good Gaelic footballer. He played minor football with Dublin as well. And I always say, I saw in one school's final in O'Toole Park, I saw him doing two things in the match and I just thought, incredible. The ball was going over the end line and he was running out after it. And if he caught it, his momentum was going to take him over the line. So instead of catching it, he kind of ran past the ball and palmed it back and it landed up in Desi's arms and Desi stuck it in the net. And on another occasion in the same game, he was out along the sideline and two fellas got around him and they had him boxed in, you know? And he just dropped the ball and kicked it off one of them over the sideline. I'm sure then that meant they had to pull back and he and we had a free kick of the ball. But in, in one game, he did the two of them moves and I just thought, yeah, wow. And I saw him playing with Dublin Miners. They lost to Kildare, but a ball was on the ground and he let fly and he was just lucky. It barely went over the crossbar. If it had gone in, Dublin would have won the game. Like He, he just had a football brain and, and, and a really nice guy. Like You know, you could see that, that he, he was never fully appreciated in England when he was I think he was captaining Birmingham City and they won the League Cup against Arsenal and um, you could see that he was just so intelligent and even when you know came to the World Cup in 2002 he was one of those players who should have been appreciated um, but then you know they, they were busy looking well most things sort of looking at the content to say oh we've got this big tall French fella he'll come in and do the same because he's French he's more valued than some lad from you know yeah, you can see that the way soccer has gone in England. Like, you know, for an Irish lad to make a break over there is, is next near to impossible now. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, would the likes of Niall Quinn have made it going over as he was as a young <laughs> lad when you just see now the money is just thrown on the table and all these international people are just brought in to play the game? Like, you know, and in a funny kind of a way, 
do these guys give you that character and that spirit that say Kevin Moore who went over and played it you know what I mean and Irish guys who play Gaelic football I always think kids should play every sport because you will always learn a facet in one sport that you can transfer to another like Kevin Moore played as, as centre half in a manner that just was different because he was always attacking the ball because that's the way he played Gaelic football whereas soccer fellas were lying back and, and like Kevin Moore probably got more stitches than most soccer players because he put himself in there and put himself about I, I just cited it recently in another interview like Stephen Cluxton was a badminton teenager yeah, yeah. and like when you think about it what are you doing badminton you're shuffling your feet you're moving your feet to do do and what would you bring to goalkeeping you know what I mean yeah yeah Jason yeah. Jason Jason was basketball if you go back and look at Jason's career in 95 he got two critical goals one down in Navin and one against Cork the All-Ireland semi-final and again what happened he threw a basketball shimmy totally unorthodox defenders both cases didn't know what was happening and both ended up on the ground and then he was through and he had the ball in the back of the neck you go and look at Desi Farrell's way of playing Gaelic football Desi was a hockey player as a young lad I kind of had to nurture him away from the hockey to, <laughs> with a bribe but yeah uh, yeah, and he, he, I think he has it in his book. He says, I bribed him that I'd get him a trial with Dublin at 16 years of age with the minus if he'd concentrate more on the Gaelic football. Now, you watch Desi and the way he played the game. Desi had a phenomenal use of his hips. And you, you, you think about it, hockey players down-stooped, moving the stick and whatever, and the hip action would be huge. And like they're just three examples. Brian Fenton, as a midfielder, phenomenal stamina, right? Can go up and down, up and down, down. Well, Brian Fenton, as a young lad, did a huge amount of swimming. Yeah, there's just some examples of play another sport and you can bring it to Gaelic games. And that's why I would encourage every kid to play every sport. You'll, you'll learn something that will strengthen the actual sport you eventually end up playing in, like, you know? <gasps> Look, and, and I know that, like, you know, you have practiced what you preach. So it's not just you're saying, oh, do it. And then you, you go off air and go, to hell with soccer, to hell with rugby, to hell with badminton. I know that that's not the case because if you'd um, or organised uh, a soccer team in a CBS and went on and won the, the Leinster Schools final with Desi and Kenny and so yeah, did, you, yeah. you practice what you preach. I mean, uh, so just so people listen going on, ah, yeah, that's the usual GAA, blah, 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 but I'm sorry. Also, I, that, that actually, the, the story behind that was like, I had these young lads in school and we were reasonably successful at Gaelic and they said, could we enter a soccer team? And at the particular time, under-16 Gaelic football for clubs, it still is actually, was played on a Saturday afternoon. And we weren't the size of the club we are in the FINA then. So yeah. we were kind of struggling a bit with the team. So the lads played their under-16 soccer on a Sunday morning, right? So I encouraged them to come and play in the FINA on a Saturday afternoon. Because Desi was on the team and there was other good lads. And so these lads all came up and played for me on a Saturday afternoon. They played their soccer on a Sunday, right? Because that's kids. Kids will play every day of the week. They don't care about sport. It's sport. They just want fun. So that's how that happened. And then we entered the team. And the first year we entered it, people said, oh, no, go into the second division junior cup. And I said, no, no, we give this a shot. We ended up in the semi-final. Two years later, we ended up winning the actual senior cup in Talca Park. We lost the All-Ireland semi-final in the penalty shootout. The team that bet us got their equalising goal in the last kick of the game. They went on and won the All-Ireland final 5-1. It was really there for us that we had luck and win in Leinster. The penalty hit the crossbar from the opposition. But out of all of that, some of those guys that were actually playing soccer and were from soccer backgrounds actually gave up playing the soccer and really? actually 
yeah, actually came and played with Nafina and committed themselves to Nafina. So from a GA point of view, we lost nobody, but we gained players from it. And that to me was critical. And even recently, I was up at a function in Aaron's Oil where they were giving out awards to students doing the leave insert who had got involved in a tuition course uh, that the club were running on a voluntary basis. The teachers were voluntary to help the kids get on with their studies and get to college. And uh, a lad came up to me and he was a pure soccer player at the time, but he now was in Aaron's Oil with his kids and his kids were not playing soccer. They were playing GAA. So I just said, it, it's amazing. And I always say this to the arguments, people go on about Kennedy Cup and everything like that. And I'm saying to people, relax. Don't be worrying about the opposition. Just do what you're doing the right way and people will stay with you. And I think if you're fair and consistent in how you deal with people, there was always my philosophy in teaching. People will believe in what you're doing and they'll actually stay with it. And we, I don't think we've ever anything to worry about other sports because I think, you know, what we do as a sporting organization and because of our community nature, I think people will always see that as the value, like in a funny kind of a way. And I know people might like to think it, but you know, in a lot of ways, the GA club has now nearly replaced people going to mass at the weekend in the context that there's a far greater gathering at GA venues nearly than you get in some of the local churches here in Ireland, because that's the way society has moved on, you know? As the final whistle goes on another episode of this Sunday's game, we thank Dermot O'Donovan and John Horan for their time. Of course, John will be back with us next time out on Sunday for part three of our one-on-one. Remember, tomorrow night, the All Europe GGE quiz is taking place, 8.45. All info on our social media and our website, gillygameseurope.com. So, until Sunday, take care of yourselves and each other. Uh...